Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Board. On today's episode, we quickly run down my top 50 rankings for the upcoming NFL Draft. And specifically, we'll look at the top five quarterbacks as they figure to go, most of them, in the top ten. We take a look at the NFL schedule release announcement that was made earlier today, April 21st. And then finally, I'll give you my prediction for who the Ravens will pick if they trade up, if they stay at 27, or if they trade back. So let's start with the top 50 list. If you've been following the NFL draft for any period of time, you know that a lot of the top players are a consensus. Maybe not in the exact order, but if you were to name, for example, this year, Trevor Lawrence or Kyle Pitts or Micah Parsons or Justin Fields, most of those guys will be at the top of most everybody's list. Then... As you go into the next 10, 15, 20 picks, you may have still some guys in common among everybody's list, but not as much, and there will start to be some difference. So, for example, I personally believe that Caleb Farley is going to be a first-round cornerback the corner from Virginia Tech. A lot of people may think that, but they may have him ranked lower in the round where I have him ranked closer to the middle of the round in terms of overall talent. And if you pay attention to the drafts and you study, especially recent drafts, you know that quarterbacks go very high and teams that draft quarterbacks do so for a couple of reasons. One, they just need one. Two, they think this guy will be the difference maker to turn them around. Because obviously, if they're drafting high, they didn't have a good year in the previous year. You might have an exception with the Dolphins, where the Dolphins had a good year last year, but they're actually now drafting sixth. Uh, But by and large, teams that are drafting high, they take quarterbacks, They need to draft someone who is as close to a can't-miss prospect as possible because they can't afford to waste any more time because the league keeps going and they don't want to wait till next year or two years down the road to maybe get their guy. They want to get their guy now. And that can become dangerous because, obviously, you draft with the hope that the guy you draft is the guy that helps turn your whole franchise around. Well, that might not be the case. Or he might not be able to do that in the first year. So tempering expectations is key. Also, another reason teams draft quarterbacks high is because they are going to be in need of a quarterback soon, but they're looking at next year, and they don't like the class the potential class that's coming out next year. So they say, okay, if we're on the board and the fourth best quarterback is available to us, the fourth best quarterback in the 2021 draft is available, is he better now than what we think the first or second quarterback will be next year? 
assuming we draft in a similar position, we're able to get those guys next year. If you, as best you can, is a guy now better than a guy next year? You have to make that decision too. And when you get into those discussions, you start to reach for quarterbacks that may not be ready, but you draft them high because they're going to go quickly. Because obviously this is a quarterback-driven league, and you can't wait around. So in other words, you may see a quarterback be drafted on April 29th in the first round that, say, for example, he's drafted at 15 overall and the Patriots take a quarterback just for the sake of discussion. That's not saying he's the 15th best player in the draft. That's just saying the Patriots or whoever the team is, is taking a guy that they think is good enough to get them to where they want to be given their current draft position this year, their current quarterback room, and the potential of next year's quarterback's class as best they can determine it. So there are a lot of factors. So once again, when you see guys go early, don't automatically assume that they're going to be a Joe Flacco or Matt Ryan who are going to lead their teams to playoffs or start in their rookie years and do well. Don't automatically assume they're going to be guys that don't perform well just because they go to a team with a bad record. You never know. And it really takes a couple years to evaluate any draft prospect. So that's my take on the quarterbacks. And we'll get into the specific rankings in a little bit. For right now, I'm going to briefly run down my top 50 list. And again, these are the prospects I can say that I believe are the top 50 players. Of course, I'm not privy to every single piece of information that scouts and pro personnel guys are. But just from afar, for what I value as a fan and as a coach, as best I can determine, these are the guys I like. In terms of intangibles, you just have, for me, you have to love the game. Because that is going to see you through times of adversity, times where you don't want to practice, you don't want to study film. That love is going to override any fatigue or override any frustration you have with your teammates, your coaches, uh, the media, whatever. That love of the game has to be there because if you don't have it, just like anything else in life, when something comes up to where you don't want to do it, if you don't have a love for that thing, you're going to... Find a way to get out of it. So you have to have love for the game. You have to be willing to take criticism. You have to be willing, if, for example, if you're Zach Wilson, to feel those questions of, you know, you didn't play in the toughest conference. You're not the biggest guy. Your offensive scheme wasn't as elaborate as some of the other guys. How do you deal with that? You know, you you have to deal with those questions in interviews. And you have to be willing to own it and say if you messed up or if there are ways you can improve or where you can improve and so forth. That's big because that says when you get to the pros and you get that coaching and you don't have classes anymore, you don't have all these other things you had in college and it's all about football, 
you're able to handle it. Of course, you have to be an athlete. You have to be a good player. Or there's nothing else that we really talk about. If you're not a good player, it's not going to work. And then finally, for me, you have to be able to focus in the tough moments. A lot of people can get excited at the beginning of the game, when it's nice weather, when the fans are there, when you're playing for a contract. What impresses me most is when the chips are down, so to speak, and it's fourth and two, and you need that play, and the wind is 25 miles an hour, and you've had a lousy game, and can you just block all that out and make a play? That is, to me, a huge part of this whole process. So, 1 through 10, I have Trevor Lawrence, Panay Sewell, Patrick Sertan, Devontae Smith, Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddell, Jamar Chase, Micah Parsons, Quiddy Pay, and Justin Fields. I like Trevor Lawrence as the top overall pick. I think that for his size, for his arm, the program he played in what was asked of him, his performance level, uh, he there's just really no reason to not like him. His leadership and tangibles, he checks so many boxes. And I read a story today in The Athletic by Bruce Feldman in which he interviewed some quarterback coaches uh, who remained anonymous, but they were talking about certain quarterbacks in this draft that could potentially be drafted high. And they were talking about, at one point, Trevor Lawrence's athleticism, and they said how, look, you don't run away from defenders at Ohio State if you're not a great athlete. And Trevor Lawrence has shown to be a great athlete in that regard. And so when you look at his leadership, his size, his athleticism, his drive to continue to be great, that's the kind of guy I want leading my franchise. I think other guys in the top 10 who are huge difference makers, I look at Jalen Waddell, and I think he is a huge difference maker because when he gets the ball, he is a threat to score every single time. And he handled, before his injury at Alabama, he handled a lot of snaps as a starter, of course, at receiver, but also as a returner. And you don't often see guys who do both with exceptional output. You may see a guy who's a great receiver who can return but doesn't give his all, or he returns but maybe is not as effective. Jalen Waddle did all those things. And he's not just straight line fast. He's shifty. He finds spaces and zones. His acceleration is absolutely outstanding. If you can get him the ball, he is a threat, a major threat in the open field. And of course he's tough. I you know, he he probably wanted to come back from his his injury much sooner than the team would let him. And I'm sure that has come across in interviews. But Jalen Waddle is a guy who I look at as potentially being the best receiver in this draft. 
And then we'll go down to 11 through 20. Najee Harris, Jalen Mayfield, Caleb Farley, Christian Derrissaw, Rashawn Slater, Trevin Morey, Kadarius Toney, Jalen Phillips, Zach Wilson, Rashad Bateman. I like Najee Harris a lot more than a lot of other people. I know running back isn't a position that is, I want to say is not valued because it is valued, but a lot of teams specifically with the Ravens do very well to deploy two and sometimes three running backs regularly. And so if you look at that, you say, well, can we afford to wait until round two, three, maybe four to get our starter? Well, that's a question of, is there going to be a guy there that is worthy to be a starter? Is there? Maybe. But a guy like Najee Harris is special because of his size, his speed, his power, and really his flexibility. You really don't see guys who are that big and fast that can stop on a dime, make really awkward cuts. And I say that in the best way. He makes cuts and movements that if you're a defensive coach, you really have a hard time game planning for. Because you just don't see other guys do that, so you can't compare him to other guys. So it's hard to forecast what he's going to do. And thus, put your guys in a position to stop what he's going to do. His pass protection is good. He's going to stick his nose in there. Like I said, he's he's strong, he's tough, and he just wants to work. He's just a grinder. But his... His athleticism and his twitch is rare. And that's something for me as a coach and a person, if I'm an evaluator, you know, we may not need him, but we're thinking of taking him. Even if, unless I have a guy like an Alvin Kamara or a Christian McCaffrey or, or a guy like that who is just absolutely a stone cold number one back. I'm looking at adding Najee Harris if he's on the board when I'm picking. Jalen Mayfield's another guy I have really high on my board that a lot of people have probably as an early second rounder. I like him because I think he's a very good player now and he's only going to get better. I think he can play either side of the offensive line as tackle. And if you follow Michigan football the last few years, you've seen that they have good players, particularly on both sides of the line, but their overall team record hasn't been great. Therefore, you kind of get this feeling that maybe the players aren't as great. I'm telling you, that's not true. And I think when you look at Jalen Mayfield, Darisaw Slater, uh, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State is another guy that's probably going to be drafted high. Again, when you look at rankings, if a guy's ranked at 12 and another guy's ranked at 19, you're not saying that those two players are necessarily seven slots apart in terms of talent. It's a matter of who, especially when you're doing mock drafts, the team at 12 obviously has a certain system and the team at 19 has a certain system. So... Who can fit where? And so really, there may be 22 guys that team thinks 
that teams think are first-round players. There may be 34 guys that teams think can go in the first round. Like So it varies. But I think Mayfield is someone that's not talked about enough. Going to 21 through 30, Gregory Rousseau, the edge player out of Miami, Elijah Vera Tucker, Zayvon Collins, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, Aziz Ojulari, Liam Eikenberg, Amonra St. Brown, Trey Lance, Travis Etienne, and Joe Tryon. And I think this is where the draft gets really good. I think if you're a team in this 21 through 30, 21 through 32, essentially the playoff teams of last year, you're in great shape, obviously, because if you made the playoffs last year, you're you're closer to a Super Bowl than most. But also, you have a roster, by and large, that is maybe not set, but you can afford to take a player that you might not need. In other words, if you're the Jaguars or the Jets, you need to take a quarterback. You need to take a guy who you're looking to to start day one. If you're a team in this part of the draft, you don't need to take those guys. Or if you do, if you get that guy, for example, if you need a safety or a cornerback, most likely on your defense, there are other veterans who are excellent players that can lead that guy and guide that guy to take some pressure off. Whereas like last year for Joe Burrow, number one overall pick, Bengals need a quarterback. Burrow's going to be a very good one, I fully believe. Everything was on him. In this part of the draft, they're not. And also, like we talked about before, teams that reach early for a quarterback or an edge rusher or one of those prized positions, that if you can imagine that leapsfrog a player that potentially should have been picked in the mid-20s, puts them into the maybe 10 to 15 range, which therefore pushes down some really good players that are now still available. And I look at the 22 to 24 part of this uh, draft board. You look at Elijah Vera Tucker at 22. Some people have him at guard. Could be keep him at tackle. I think that uh, he can be a very, very good 12 to 14 year NFL player. Make a Pro Bowl in more than half of those years. I just think everything I've heard and read about him, he's very solid. And especially a team like the Ravens, they could use a guy like him. Uh, Zaven Collins, who really, linebacker of Tulsa, could be a defensive end. And he is, I think I read today, is at 270 pounds, but he moves very well. So that's a player that. When I say he needs to fit in the right defensive system, it's not because of a lack of ability. It's because he has too much ability, if that makes sense. I say he needs to be in the right defensive system. I mean that he can do so much. He needs to be with the right kind of creative defensive coach, a defense that allows players to move around, so to speak and have a sort of loose structure. Whereas if teams are looking for specific edge rusher or specific defensive end, uh, and, and that's it, 
Collins may not be the best fit. Maybe, you know, maybe. But he would do better, I think, and a lot of people think, if he could have a little more free reign and, and move around throughout the defense. And then probably my X factor of the whole draft, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, linebacker from Notre Dame. He's done a lot of work in pass coverage. He is really an unpredictable player. And again, I say that in the best way because he can line up in multiple positions. And it's not just, and here's the thing I, I'd like to relay here. When people line up at multiple positions, or you look at an Isaiah Simmons from last year, who for Clemson did a whole bunch of different things. He had the body maybe of a defensive end, or, you know, he played inside a linebacker, really, or it's listed there, but he, he played safety also. He, he moved around, right? It's not just a matter of having the physical attributes, height, weight, speed. It's not a matter of just being able to know it. You know, you go into a film room on a whiteboard and you, you can answer questions from coaches and you know what to do. Those are all very important. You have to be able to execute it. You have to be able to execute those schemes and those plays at a high level. Otherwise, you're taking a position away from a guy who maybe specializes in that. While you can't do everything you can do, say, for example, if you're Brian Kelly in Notre Dame, you say, I want Jeremiah to play nickel corner in our red zone defense. Well, if he does that so-so, he and you put him there, he better execute because if not, he's taking the spot of a true cornerback whose job is to defend that pass, if that makes sense. So these guys are raved about for a good reason because they're rare. And granted, yes, they can only play one position at a time, but picture this. If you're a coach and you're an offensive coach and you say, all right, we're playing against Notre Dame or we're playing against Tulsa and we have Collins for Tulsa or Owusu Koromoa for Notre Dame and you're looking at, all right, we get to the red zone we need one play. What's our good? To, what's our go-to play? How can if this guy lines up on our best player, which he probably will, how are we going to navigate this? How are we going to attack this? And you can run pick plays. You know, there's you know screens you can run. A lot of times, what the Chiefs do is they'll they'll fake a screen to one side. Uh, they'll look back to the right and they'll run a middle screen or they'll run a quick slant or something. They'll go, they'll fake left, fake right, and then go over the middle. Well, these guys have the size, the physical stature, the mental ability, and the physical ability to execute it, to negate that. Of course, not every time. These guys aren't perfect players. You know, no one is. But the point is, it gives you an extra layer of hesitancy as an opposing coach to game plan against these guys. Therefore, boosting their value. And then just a quick note on Trey Lance, and I'll get to him in a second when I get to my quarterback rankings. I initially was down on him, just for the sake of his his small sample size. Essentially, he played one year at North Dakota State, and he played one game in this, this past abbreviated, can't even really call it a season. So I 
just worry about that as a limited sample size, only from the standpoint if I'm drafting him to start day one. Because when you draft a quarterback, and this is something we didn't get into, but you probably have heard before, where drafting a quarterback in the first round is so important for many reasons. Most of which is because if this guy doesn't work, head coach's job is on the line, his staff of 15, 20 other coaches is on the line. If this guy doesn't work and your owner isn't patient and your fan base isn't patient, those 20 guys could be out of a job. Those potentially 100 family members will have to move. That's a big deal. And you need a guy, or you wouldn't like to have a guy, I should say, that is able to handle that pressure and hopefully welcomes it. While he knows he can only do what he can do, he wants that responsibility to be the leader of the franchise. And so what I've read on Trey Lance, again, referring back to Bruce Feldman's article today in The Athletic, was that his intangibles, his work ethic, his football IQ is all A+, was the quote from one of these quarterback coaches. That, to me, is massive. Because the playing time can be solved. Those bumps can be smoothed out by reps. Like I said before in the beginning, when you hit adversity, and everybody does in all parts of life, when you hit adversity... How is your character going to respond? Are you going to welcome it or are you going to shy away? You want guys that are going to welcome it. The playing time, the technique, the coaching, that can all be worked on. The character, you have it or you don't. What's hardwired in you, you have it or you don't. That's why it's massively important to get it right If when you're talking about drafting a quarterback first round. When you're talking about drafting a wide receiver in the fifth round, those are so important. But it doesn't have nearly as much impact on a franchise as a first-round quarterback does. And then we go real quick to finish up the top 50 list. 31 through 40, Terrace Marshall, Nick Bolton, J.C. Horn, Christian Barmore, Javante Williams, Baron Browning, Dylan Raddins, Eric Stokes, Rondale Moore, Tommy Togiai. And this is just an extension of these last 10 players where I think there's a lot of value here. And again, some of these guys will go second round. That doesn't mean they're second round talents. It's just teams that drafted in the first round maybe had to reach or had to expedite their process to draft a quarterback or a cornerback or a wide receiver because they were really hurting in that position, which subsequently pushes down really good players on this list. And then lastly, 41 through 50, Brevin Jordan, Wyatt Davis, Asante Samuel Jr., Richie Grant, Landon Dickerson, Cameron McGrone, Joseph Asai, Elijah Molden, Michael Carter, and Jason Owe. I think Owe is the person who I probably missed on. I'll even say it right now. It's hard to forecast someone like him that plays not behind a Micah Parsons, but in terms of spotlight, was behind Parsons. And full disclosure, I made this 
list uh, about a month and a half ago. So, of course, things changed. But Owe, I'm sure, is a first-round talent. I just, similar to Trey Lance, uh, for me, there's an unknown there. Could he be a rock star, absolute home run? Sure. Could he come onto the scene, get a few sacks, and then disappear? I'm not so sure, but, you know, maybe somewhere in between. And so if he gets six, seven sacks a year and is consistent, that is not a bad thing whatsoever. But, again, does that fit what your team needs? Will six or seven sacks a year every year, is that enough for your team? You know, if you go to a team with, like, for example, the Saints, if he goes to the Saints, well, he probably wouldn't because they have guys like Cam Jordan and, and Hendrickson who are very good edge rushers or the Washington football team in round two, for example. Montez Sweat and Chase Young are – and look, I saw those guys in person I think three or four times last year. Those guys are going to be a force, big-time force. And they're just – they're already very good and they're just getting started. So probably wouldn't go to a team like that. But if he had comparable edge rushers where he didn't need to come in and be a start or starter or he just came in on third downs to start before he worked himself into a full-time role, that's one thing. So again, all the a lot of these guys could be drafted in the first round. But I think, again, my X Factor, Jeremiah, Owusu, Koromoa, I think my, my locks of being... Excellent players for long times are Trevor Lawrence, Panay Sewell, Jalen Waddell. I think Kyle Pitts is, again, the tight end from Florida. I mean, what do you have to say about him? Is He looks to be a, a, a big, big-time player. Jalen Phillips, if he stays healthy, I think can be of a nasty, a nasty, relentless force on the edge. I think he would be a perfect fit in Baltimore. Rashad Bateman, I think, is going to be an excellent player. Elijah Vera Tucker, Trey Lance, Amon St. Brown, who has been my number one uh, target for the Ravens for a long time. I think guys like Rondale Moore, who's, you know, let's say he's small, but explosive. So again, can you get in that right situation? Landon Dickerson, if he recovers from his injury, is going to be a stud. So there's all these guys where they have not problems or issues, I'm going to say, but they have questions that need to be addressed. And that's not a bad thing because everybody has them and it'll give that player an opportunity, whether it's it's an actual question that can be answered verbally or you know you have to explain a report that a personnel guy or a scout guy got from one of your coaches, or it's a question that has to be answered on the field. Can you make this movement in the NFL? Can you block this way in our offensive line scheme? Can you execute this coverage while also being able to execute this blitz within our system? So having questions isn't always a bad thing. There's a difference between having questions about yourself and having red flags. Red flags are things for me, whether it's injury-wise, 
trouble with the law in their past, if you're late to meetings chronically, those are things for me that could very, very seriously put you off my board. But if you had a really tough home life coming up or you didn't have a lot of resources and you got started late in football, say you maybe only played one year of high school football and you're just behind on reps at this stage of your career because of uncontrollable circumstances, that's a totally different conversation that I'm not worried about or I'm not worried about as much, I should say. Okay, so let's go to the quarterbacks. We talked about it a lot, and we'll get really specific now. Quarterbacks one through five. Number one, of course, Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be a very, very good player, even going to the Jaguars. Well, (laughs) again, we don't know for sure. You never know. Their team could trade up to take him. I don't see why Jackson would give that up, but stranger things have happened. I think with the size, his resume on field, his resume off the field, again, he checks so many key boxes, it's a no-brainer to me. The next guy I like is Trey Lance. And I like Trey Lance even given his lack of playing time. Again, because of the intangibles. Playing time or lack thereof, I should say, is only a liability if your intangibles aren't there. And he has them. Are you competitive? Are you willing to work? Are you going to own your mistakes? Are you going to specifically lay out a plan to get better? If you can articulate that in meetings and get that across in meetings, that's huge. And also, you have to have, even if it's a small sample size, you have to have something on tape To say, yeah, I'm going to make this play. Yeah, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to make a play when there's no play to be made. I'm just going to find a way. And sometimes that unconventional nature of a player is good because, again, if teams don't see that a lot on tape, whether from you or someone else they've been studying, how can they game plan against you? They can think they have a plan, but... People thought they had a plan against Michael Vick. People thought they have a plan against Adrian Peterson. And he rushes for nearly 300 yards. And in that game, I believe it was against the Chargers years ago, once Adrian Peterson got to, I don't know, 200 yards, you think they weren't loading the box? You think they weren't loading the box already? And he still ripped off another near 100 yards. A 298, I believe it was. Or 296, somewhere in there. So (laughs) there are rare, and I I don't think Trey Lance is there, but he's on that path in terms of having a unique mixture of smarts, competitive toughness, uh, perseverance, arm strength, mobility, and it's just a matter of reps. The third guy I like is Mac Jones. And he's been kind of a polarizing study in this draft process because a lot of people like him. You just look at his numbers. You look at him playing against an all-SEC schedule last year. That is not easy to do. 
yeah, he has great talent all around him. But guess what? And I always make this argument with Emmett Smith, the NFL's all-time leading rusher. One of the best offensive lines of all time, Emmett Smith was running behind. But guess what? He still needed to run the rock. He still needed to take those hits. He still needed to keep his balance. He still needed to pass protect. He still needed to find a way. And he still dominated. Well, if Matt Jones has Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and Najee Harris and John Mechie and a defense that's going to get the ball back to him and Miller Forrestal, who is a very dependable tight end, and, you know, potentially a first-round center with another potentially two second-round or third-round linemen blocking for it. Like, he has all these things, right? He still has to produce. His processing, his accuracy, his competitiveness, I think are all, if not NFL-ready, they're right there. The other people who think maybe he's not in great shape, maybe he doesn't do this or do that, and he just doesn't look like a quarterback, whatever that means. Another nugget I I really liked from Bruce Feldman's article was a scout said, well, why? I don't know where that's coming from, him not being a good athlete. Okay, just first, and this is my take real quick. You play starting quarterback at University of Alabama, you're a really freaking good athlete. But specific to the scout's comment, he said, well, just because Mac Jones doesn't look good with a t-shirt on, you're not a good athlete? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm paraphrasing this part. He said, that doesn't make any sense. That's spot on. The fourth guy on the list, I think, is Justin Fields. And again, is he much, much lower than Trevor Lawrence? I don't think so. I think there's things that Justin Fields does that does well that maybe Trevor Lawrence doesn't. I'm sure there is. Uh, I think that Justin Fields is extremely tough. And I don't think he gets enough credit for how competitive he is. And being competitive, especially at quarterback, is so important because it's not just something nice to say. I mean, think about it. If you're in that huddle and you see a guy get beaten up and coming back and leading your team, that inspires you. So there's a positive ripple effect that goes on if your quarterback is tough. And Justin Field is especially tough. And then my fifth player on this quarterback list is Zach Wilson from BYU. I just have a little more reservation about him than other players on the list. And (laughs) here's the thing. I think all these guys will get taken in the top 15. I think Lawrence and Wilson, a lot of people think will go one and two. I think Mac Jones could go to the Panthers, work with Joe Brady or the, or the Broncos. Um, Reunite with Jerry Judy in Denver. I think Trey Lance could be a really intriguing fit in New England with Josh McDaniels. I think that, um, you know, Justin Fields could go 
anywhere with Justin Fields could go to the Jets. Justin Fields could go to the Lions. He could, you know, he's um, he's a safe pick from the standpoint of he could really fit into a lot of different offenses. I think personally. And speaking of fitting into a team's system, as we close up here, we're going to give you my picks for who I think the Ravens will draft if they have to trade up, if they stay put at 27, or if they trade down. And quick aside, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, again, my ex-factor of the draft, I wouldn't love to see him on the Ravens. I don't think it'll happen because of me, because I... And also because I think other teams will want to take him before the Ravens are on the clock. But, you know, Eric DaCosta said this in a recent press conference where he said, if we have a player that's on the board when we're picking and he plays a position that we are pretty well stocked in, we may still take him because he talked about the idea of depth and, you know, you could, how it's such a fluid situation. And he said how, you know, you could have a quarter, a cornerback room who's very deep and all of a sudden in training camp, somebody gets pulled a hamstring or they roll an ankle or something. And then all of a sudden you're looking for a free agent corner, you know, like, so you never know. And I think, Owusu Kormoa, along with Kyle Pitts, along with Jalen Waddell, uh, are those kind of rare guys that, you know, you may have a linebacker or tight end or receiver that room that you feel great about. But man, this guy's somehow on the board when you're picking, you got to think about seriously taking him. But If the Ravens do trade up, I think Rashad Bateman is the player. Obviously, a lot of talk has been going on about the Ravens taking a receiver. They lose Willie Sneed, Chris Moore, and, uh, you know, they have Miles Boykin, they have Hollywood Brown, they have Devin Duvernay, they have James Prochet. All guys who can make a difference, but still, you would like to add another guy. And Rashad Bateman, to me, is one of the most solid players in this whole draft. He does so many things well. He's competitive. He blocks. And here's the thing. Don't talk to me about a receiver for the Ravens to draft if he doesn't block. That's a non-starter. And from everything I can tell, Bateman is a very willing and able blocker. Now, I think if they do trade up, the Bears are the team to look for at 20. So that's seven spots. So, like, if you trade up, I mean, talk about trading up, you don't want, you know, especially in the first round, every spot you go up that you go, there's an exponential difference that you have to compensate that team for. In the second, third, fourth round, not so much. But especially in the first round, even if you go up two spots, that's going to cost you more. And Bateman, I think, is a big target for the Bears, 
But also, that seven spot seems to be in the range to where, as a fan, I'm comfortable with what the Ravens may have to give up to do that. Because the Ravens are a very solid running team. Of course, they have their quarterback of the future. Uh, They have good wide receivers now. And they can just add another wide receiver that could take them to a, a new level. So to me, that's worth it. They say put, I like Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher at 27. Again, if his medicals check out, which everything I've heard, I haven't heard anything to say they won't, or they haven't, but if his medicals check out, he's a dog. And the Ravens need one. Because you lose Judon, and you already were looking for an edge rusher, even with Judon, an additional one, I should say. But you lose Judon, Jalen Phillips, both in stature and production, and also in attitude, seems to take that mantle right over. And then if they have to trade back, I like Jalen Mayfield. Again, I had him as my 12th best player on the board. And I had him that way because I feel like he can do so many really good things for your team and your franchise. He can play a position of need. And here's the thing. Even if they don't trade Orlando Brown, their main backup tackle, DJ Fluker, just signed to the Dolphins. So the Ravens will be looking at tackle, I'm very sure. And Jalen Mayfield, again, playing on a team at Michigan who, which didn't have a great team record, they still had very good individual players, especially offensive-defensive lines. So Mayfield is a guy that, you know, hopefully Ronnie Stanley comes back, hopefully Orlando Brown stays. And even if those guys are healthy, Mayfield is going to be key. And if, for whatever reason, one of those guys gets hurt or Brown gets traded, Mayfield's there. And, again, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a ton of competition for him at 27. He should be on the board there. So, again, they have to trade up. Rashad Bateman, stay put, Jalen Phillips, trade down, Jalen Mayfield. And just quickly to end here, to recap, I think the Ravens are in great shape, as they usually are. They have a good amount of picks. They have a very good understanding of what they're doing. They have uh, a good draft position, believe it or not, at 27. Because, again, players that drop, so to speak, into the 20 to 32 range are most likely good enough to be in the 10 to 20 range in terms of overall talent. But because of reaches or other teams being more desperate, that pushes down those really good players. And the Ravens will be one of those benefactors. The NFL schedule just was just announced. It'll be released on Wednesday, May 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's three weeks from today. Can't wait for that. Going to a 17-game schedule. Very exciting And, of course, the big day, uh, eight days from now, the NFL Draft, Thursday, April 29th. Cannot wait. Well, thank you all so very much for listening. I know it was a long layoff, but 
of course, being named on the board, we had to come at you with a pre-draft podcast. And as much as I'm able, I'll be back on here soon to give you more thoughts. So as always, please uh, leave any questions or comments you have. Rate us. Share the episode wherever you get your podcast. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much to listening to On the Board.